thinking of doing a TV show or a podcast? That's idle thoughts, you know. Well, whether I ever get around to it or not, or to what extent, I don't know. You know, yeah. but, you know, it's just like Facebook. I I have fun just shooting the breeze about what I call the important stuff, which is the unimportant stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, that's you know, uh, it's the barrier of entry is very very low. Yeah, and I'm digging that. I'm really digging that aspect of it. You know, you can you can see just about anybody on TV, including yourself. You can just go dial up and look. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you? Uh, what, what, what would you talk about? Movies, books, pulp fiction, non-pulp fiction. Yeah, yeah. Probably just about anything but comics. Really? <laughs> you know? Are you sick of them? No, I'm not sick of them. I spend most of my time doing them. Yeah. So you know, I'm hardly sick of. Them. But uh, but that also says that okay, when I'm not doing comics, do I want to sit around and talk about comics yeah. some more? Besides, is that where I get most of my ideas? Well, maybe That's once, but not so much anymore. You know. so, so you so and it's interesting. I mean, this it's it's sort of um, it's a way for you to get ideas of just sitting down and and, and talking with somebody. That's one of them. Yeah. You know, just reading a lot. Um, there's all kinds of ways to get ideas. You know, that's one thing I've gotten pretty good at. Now yeah. that I'm almost worn out. Is uh, you know, if I figured out a you know a whole mess of different ways to open up my mind and make it work for me better than it used to. You know. So I don't have to go through slumps and stuff. You know? Well, yeah, you said uh, you said the main the main issue with uh, with starting a new project is just that you're just drawing constantly. Yeah, well, you know I, what I try to do is overlap. Like I got a new book coming out right now, but I'm also on the home stretch of the first 24 page story of my next book. You know, because uh, I started thinking, you know, when I started seeing it getting smaller and smaller, what was left of the old book, I thought, man, I got to get on this. You know, that's the way you kind of keep the same head of steam going for a long, long time. Just by not stopping? Yeah, because when you, you know, stopping can be dangerous. And then suddenly you're just sort of sitting there like, huh, wah, wah, you know. Uh, yeah, I used to have these terrible slums that I'd just go to the library all day and read, like, science fiction stories, thinking maybe I'd get an idea out of this one or an idea out of that one. But somehow, you know, miraculously I got past that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's no. you, you do have to sort of build up a, <laughs> you know, you've, you've got to kind of build your resources up at some point, though, right? I mean, you, you do, know. you do, and you, at a certain point, you got to stop clowning and get serious about it if yeah. you expect to get anywhere with it. You know? When did you When did you stop clowning? It was hard. I liked to clown. <laughs> <laughs> it took me until I was about forty-one or forty-two years that's, old. I mean, that's a pretty late start, right? Well, I had a big blow to my you know I, I broke up with this girl and that yeah. was such a massive blow to my ego it really took me years to kind of dig my way out but while I was digging my way out I also uh, cleaned up my act to a large extent yeah. stopped drinking just uh, got more and more into physical fitness got more and more into drawing and writing until you know it's like in the 80s I was like a drawing writing machine mm. you know which was exhilarating because I didn't really see it coming, but I was glad when it got there. Although, you know, it's problematic, you know. It's hell on your social life and stuff, and if I worried about that, I'd be worried, but I'm not. So the breakup, um, did, that, did that actually inspire you to, to write, or that just got you that got Well, you totally it just suddenly, the- I broke up with this girl. She married a big-shot movie producer. She looked like she was probably heading for an easy Academy Award at 
for animation. And I thought, shit, am I going to let that bitch get ahead of me? Yeah. I shouldn't be saying this. <laughs> Jesus. It's just going uh, on the internet. It's not. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a it was a great motivator to me. Suddenly, you know, I, I think I got to be like about twice as good as I'd been. Mm. Uh, you Competition. Know, yeah, and the, the price wasn't so bad. I, it, there were some lonely years while I was just sitting around doing nothing but drawing, but, you know... It passed, and then I came back, and uh, you know, now things are working out better. I got a married a woman who is interested in what I'm doing and helps me with, with stuff. I'm and looking I'm, around, and it's pretty clear that she puts up with a lot of. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, it's a lot of this mess is hers. I, yeah. I plead guilty to being the worst offender, but uh, you know, yeah. we're both accumulators. Yeah, yeah. It's. Um, and, uh, I don't know. How would you describe the scene? <laughs> well, you know. I don't know how you describe it, but I'll say this: I get things done. So how yeah. bad can that be? You know, I yeah. could have a, a nice, neat, tidy, squeaky, clean place and be doing nice little tidy, neat, squeaky, clean, trivial art too. But you know, I I just don't think about that stuff that much. You know, we got some bucks, and we're gonna we're we're gonna do some fixing up around here. The couch the couch is is going to be replaced very soon which you know and then we're going to sort of work our way up you know yeah yeah i ending up with a couple of more cats again we're between cats at the moment i was going to ask you that because obviously um i think those are those are pams up there right the uh, the cats Um, pretty much yeah i always thought it was interesting that you've got this cat collection but no actual cats running around (laughs) the elephant is mine i mean i found him on the street and put that face on him and a buddy of mine made the waldo cat but you know he put the face on with felt tip pen so uh i've got to get in there with any ink and uh, i started just to make sure it wasn't going to bleed on on the cloth and i can get away with it but it, that's about a three-hour job putting his face back yeah. on yeah i've got other things i'd read <laughs> starting podcast by the time i'm doing that my hand will be shaking so bad I'll have to yeah somebody to do it, you yeah know? I, this, this, I want to talk about the, the cat collection a little bit because yeah. um, well, those are just sort of like leave-offs, you know. Yeah, Fluvia. Well, I can show you better ones. Well, but, uh, yeah, uh, just because you know, I, I, I was um, I interviewed you a few years ago. I came to, yeah, to your so apartment. Yeah, and and obviously the cats have were inspiration for for the book at the time. Well, yeah, you know, uh, got a lot of ideas out of that. At some point, I'd like to do some more stories about Pam and her collection. Yeah. In fact, the next book I'm doing. You know, it's gonna. It'll probably be about me and Pam and our collections, except that I'll I'll lie uproariously put us in a much swankier place, <laughs> and uh, just because I think I can get some mileage out of that. That was the th- that was the thing I, I I really loved though about seeing those cats was you know you've already you already try to kind of balance that line between biography and total total craziness and coming in and actually seeing the cats here threw yeah, me off a little bit. No, there's just that yeah that little zinger. Is it really? Could it be? Yeah. No. Ah, no. And then to, yeah. to actually see this Waldo. So what's the story behind the actual Waldo doll? Well, that was a pretty funny story, actually. You know, I, I offered that $1,000 reward for anybody who could find yeah. Waldo. And my, my buddy, who I used to make uh, animated cartoons with when we were teenagers back in the 50s, just as a gag, him and his wife made that doll and planted it in the flea market we were, we were going to and the next morning you know i don't think i hadn't even had a cup of coffee yet and we 
by looking around, and it was a great flea market. There was all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. But suddenly, you know, and Pam's going, geez, I'll bet I might be able to find some stuffed animals around here. Wait, here's one. Wait a minute. This is a Waldo doll. What's he doing here? You know? <laughs> and I even have a photograph of her holding the doll. It's, it's exactly like, you know, the drawing I did. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. You know, and, that, and that's, that's sort of what I was getting at before when I said I'm going to draw a new story about us and our collections and stuff and yeah. make it all fancier because, you know, maybe I could make it happen, you know. It has a funny thing about, you know, you visualize things, you kind of, I don't know, you sort of set a certain energy in motion yeah. and things start happening, you know. What's, uh, so what, what, what kinds of collections are you working on right now? Well, you know, I'm always collecting pulp magazines, books, Victorian literature. When I was in Paris, I picked up some really nice editions of Illustrated Sir Walter Scott, which is something I've been meaning to get back to for a long time. And, uh, you know, following various pulp writing careers of different people like Max Brand. Right now I'm reading something by a guy named Pearly Poor Sheehan. doesn't sound very good, but the guy writes... It sounds like a character you might have created. Well, he... He wrote great stuff for the pulps, mostly in the teens, but, you know, he got so big that, you know, he went to Hollywood and was even uh, directing movies, but then when, you know, his life started to fall apart, he ended up back in the pulps in the 30s and died around age 67. Um, you know how much how much room do you have left? I mean, this is not a big apartment, right? Well, I've got a warehouse space, and there's oh. plenty of room left in that. Yeah, and I'd get over there more often. You know, this that's all set. That box is set to go to the warehouse space in Harlem, but I just haven't got around to it yet because I've been trying to finish another thing. You know, I, I just <laughs> this is a question I ask myself because you know I've got a small queen queen's apartment too, and 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 I've been I, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have, and and I sort of um. I wonder, you know, what the point of collecting is after a while when that stuff is living in a in a warehouse somewhere. Well, you know, the lesser stuff, the stuff I'm less engaged with, but that stuff is constantly piping ideas into my okay. brain and, and just giving me, you know, things to measure up to in my own work. And uh, It's part of the creative process, in my case. The, the, the buying of it or the surrounding yourself with it? Reviewing it, sifting through it. Because I don't really consider myself a collector, I think. You know, a collector... You know, takes it all more seriously. He's got, he's got, he's got it all organized. He knows where to find yeah. this and find that. You know, I could find some things, and there's a lot of other things. You know, I could never find. Somebody said, if you can't find it, you don't own it. And yeah. I, I can. You know, I, I bought the, I bought a, a DVD that I knew I had just because it was easier to buy the DVD again than go pouring through a mountain of DVDs to find it. You know, I think last time I was here, I think you were watching some some silent cartoons. On might have been. Is that is that still a pretty pretty regular occurrence for you? Well, I'm more into the live action stuff myself. But, yeah. Uh, you know, Pam likes the cartoons, and you know, anything that comes along like that, we pick it up. I'm wondering. So, uh, I'm wondering because um, you, you had you had mentioned before that that kind of um, competitive streak was kind of what drove you into being more productive and. I wonder if you ever, you ever felt that with, you know, your dad obviously had a, a, a great career as an animator. We're jealous of each other. We compete <laughs> with each other. You know, where do you think I got it from? Yeah. I mean, yeah. He set my top spinning before I even knew he was doing it. You know. So he was it's like, like your brother's. It's like, you know, yeah. But go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just, your, you know, you did a book with your brothers. So your brothers are creative too. 
my brother Seth is still doing pretty well. Simon's starting to slow down. But, uh, my old, you know, I, before they were even born, my old man, you know, he was like 19 when I came along. Mm-hmm. And I just got all this gosh, wow, propaganda whispered into my ear, you know, from before I could even understand what was happening. I mean, I'll give you an example of that. He used to make a lot of uh, 78 records with his own recording machine on acetate discs, you know, and most of them I, I knew what they were, but one time I found on the flip side of some piano solo that he'd recorded at our house, it was like, it said, Kim, 1944. So, you know, it's the year I was born, so I put it on. And on there's this, there's me crying. That goes on for about a minute. My old man must have said, well, you know, this isn't very interesting. I put this up. So he starts talking to me, and he's starting to talk about all the hopes and aspirations he has for me and stuff like that. You know, as I mentioned before, because of Skype, yeah. your dad's a pretty pretty tech-savvy for somebody his age. Um, he is. Well, you know, he and he always was. You know, like, yeah. you know, before there was tape, we had a disc machine. When tape machines came in, we had one before anyone else had one. You know, when... TV came in. We got ours in '49. Some people beat us to it, but you know we got there pretty pretty yeah. early. When uh, you know, color TV came in, he came in with a big fat Westinghouse color TV around 1956. You know, so. you were you were you were saying earlier that he, um, I guess, he had a machine to cut his own acetate to make his own records. Um, I was asking you uh, if you felt competition with him. Sure, I feel competition with. Uh, everybody in this business but it's friendly yeah and you know what i like about what i'm doing it's kind of like the game of golf i mean you're playing golf with somebody not that i play golf but uh but the thing is you know everybody has the same potential to do just as well it's not like it's either me or it's you you know you could both get out there and play the perfect game and it's the same thing with this stuff you know we could all do great work you know, we've all got that same chance, and just because somebody beats me out on one job, that just spurs me on to uh, try to beat them out on a job. But I'm not trying to put them on the street with a ten cup selling pencils. Yeah. I'm just trying to, you know, keep this art movement thing going. You know, and uh, which has been great fun. You know, keep it as keep it as different keep it as original as possible well yeah it inspires you, know. you to be different yeah i mean i'm inclined to to like most of the people in this business it's and in fact i've noticed that all along generally speaking the cartoonist crowd is a pretty friendly bunch of people you know sure you could point to this one and that one and the other one but the batting average is pretty yeah. good that way yeah so, um, the last time I last last time I interviewed you, which admittedly was a, a few years ago, um, you were on kind of a prose a prose kick. Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's again, you know, if you're not reading comics all the time, but you're still reading, you're starting to get influenced by other kinds of writing, and I think that's what happened to me. And then I got a double whammy of it when I discovered that a lot of the books I'd already read, you know, for like Victorian literature had been heavily illustrated Dickens Dickens and Thackeray and all of that stuff and so that made me even more fascinated about well this thing about a graphic novel it's not like it's a brand new quest people have been kind of going after that for a long time how do you mix words and pictures together and I think it's 
well, it's been fun to experiment with that. And also, I just sort of felt like, as interested as I was in novelists in that art form, I wanted to write one. So I finally wrote one, you know. it's I don't think it could stand by itself without pictures, and that's all right. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was great fun. I'm not really proud of the book. I, I think it's a cockamamie miracle that somehow it actually happened, you know. But then that's that another thing. Came together, you mean? Yeah, well, that's another thing I got from my old man. You were talking about things I got from him. Is one thing he pounded into my head was finish what you start. Yeah. You know, and so I just have that embedded into my wiring so crazily that I'd probably finish I probably finish a lot of things I shouldn't finish but you know huh. once I decide to do something I'm going to do it it might take this that amount of time but it's going to get done you 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 feel like you finish things that you maybe didn't deserve your time I think it's probably happened a few times yeah. sure I'm not going to mention any names because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, you know, I, just like anybody else, I have my good days and my bad days. Sure. You know, I try to go for a generally good batting average. But, yeah. You know, you have your ups and downs, but it pays to experiment in the long run. Sometimes you have the experiment blow up in your face, but even then, try to get it done and move on in a dignified manner instead of just... But you feel like the prose was a generally successful experiment, but you're kind of done with it at the same time? I'd hate to have to really be done with it, yeah. but, you know... You've moved away from it. I've moved away from it for the time being, you know, and I'm back to... The book I'm doing now, which is basically going to be about reincarnation, it's going to be a collection stories that sort of have a memoir aspect to them. And I think each one of those stories pretty much will be a comic strip. But there might be stuff threading it together that isn't strictly speaking comics. I can't tell yet. I mean, all I have right now is a very rough, rough outline of everything, and I'm on the home stretch of the first 24 pages. But but that's often the way I work. You know, you just sort of establish a beachhead and you go at it, and once you've gone at it for a while, you know, things start coming to you about the other aspects of it. And that's, def- that's, that's definitely something I've noticed in your, you know, in your more recent works, um, the way things unravel. Is that you, is that you figuring out things as, as you're going along? Some of it is, sure. You know. Yeah. But the story, I mean, the, your stories get deeper and deeper and deeper. I try to have each segment completely worked out, mm-hmm. but then, you know, I don't necessarily know what's going to happen next. I mean, you know, like, the stuff of dreams the first comic book i thought i was just doing a one-shot comic yeah i guess somewhere deep down inside i must have known something else was going on i thought i was going to segue right after the boulevard of broken dreams into this book about reincarnation that i'm finally getting to but Hmm. then while i was on that book tour the storyline of alias the cat just started coming to me you know and i was in a lot of hotel rooms at night and i just started working on sketches and before i knew it that book started formulating itself sort of intruding itself in between what i thought was one book and what i thought would be the next book alias is what we were alluding to earlier um that was i I mean how inspired was it by these by these cats up here well to the extent that you know i see them all the time and it struck me as good material plus it struck me as that that Pam, you know, a Pam Butler character could work. You know, she's in the she's in the first story of the, of the new one too. You know, I guess this when when we're talking about getting getting inspiration from 
and again, you said you wouldn't actually refer to yourself as a collector, but as somebody you know who who sifter a sifter. Um, yeah. uh, is, is that's essentially what you're doing? Is you're picking these things up and assigning stories to them? You know, it's, it's almost trying to trace them back and trying to figure out where they came from. Yeah, that's part of it. You know, and it's also, I mean, you know, I think you you scratch a lot of artists. And you're going to find a historian hovering right underneath. You know, that just sort of seems to be an interest that goes hand in hand with writing, is also knowing about history, history of literature, the history of the world, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So, so I mean, let, let, let's stay on, on the counts for a little while. When, when you yeah. take one of these um, yeah. and, you know, you buy it, you bring it home... Um, do you go online? Do you try to do you try to figure out where it came from? You know, there, there's a lot of scholarship that needs to be done about this stuff. Yeah. You know, are you the person to do it? No, uh, only in a lighthearted way. You know, I'm I'm going to do some more stuff with it, but it'll just be in the way of fiction. I mean, I I keep telling Pam she's got a book in her about this. Yeah, you know, it's but it's a book that hasn't been written yet. If she ever gets to that point, I would definitely jump on board and help her in any way I could. It's, it's you know, and, and and certainly in the book, and I'm actually kind of curious as to not, not to talk too much about an old book, but um, okay. you know, you, you you mentioned that in some ways they're they're kind of connected, or I guess they're they're part of a larger I want to say movement, but the, the creation of these these stuffed black cats. It's well, I don't you know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, she showed me some of these earlier on. She said, oh, look at this weird Felix the Cat doll I've got. Yeah. And I said, that's not Felix the Cat. You know, it's a, some demon or something <laughs> thing. I don't know. But it, but then, you know, but, but when you look at them all together, you can kind of see it morphing in this direction and that direction. Uh, do, do you, do, so do you, do you think some of these are actually are inspired by Felix? Well... I mean, you know, a lot of stuff is... Felix was just sort of part of this weird movement of black cats that were going on in yeah. cartoons in the 1920s. Yeah. He was probably, you know, the most enduringly interesting of the bunch, but every cartoon studio had him. You know, Walt Disney, Paul Terry, who Walt Disney imitated in the 20s. I mean, basically, Terry was kind of the king of cartoons. Yeah. Then. Disney, Mickey, uh, Mickey came right out of that. Disney blatant. You know, he had a cat named Julius. I can think the name Julius, he was sort of riffing on Felix because it's sort of a similarly Jewish-sounding name. <laughs> but the cat itself looked just like one of those Paul Terry cats. Yeah. Not Felix at all. Julius the cat. And, uh, you know, and there were, you know, there were others. Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly, when you look back at those cartoons from the twenties and thirties, they all do really look <laughs> very much the same in a lot of cases. Really, the in Paul Terry cartoons—they all seem like they're all part of one long continuous yeah. cartoon, or perhaps an alternate universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they always seemed that way to me, even as a kid. You know, okay, the cats are chasing the mice. Oh no, they're after the farmer. Now the farmer's after them. That was basically what I used to see on TV. So, so you were already you were already kind of building these 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 stories around those. Well, I didn't. I wasn't at the time. But you know what happened was when com- I started getting interested in comics, I thought, well, that's great. 
wish I could draw. I'd like to get in on this. Thing. Yeah. I think I started using a cat like those little cartoons for the same reason that they uh, used them in the cartoons. They were easy to draw, you know. So you weren't you weren't you weren't a natural a natural artist? No, not at all. Hmm. You know, I, I I've gotten to be I've gotten pretty involved in it over time, yep. but it's basically it's been a very unnatural process. You know, I've just had my wicked way with it. Yeah, force me. That was that's been the toughest part. All the writing can be miserably tough when it isn't coming, but you find ways around it. And I guess I'm finding ways around drawing too. You know, you well, have to well cheat for a one bit thing, still? well for one thing, I like it. I like to draw now, yeah. which I didn't necessarily at the time. I had to train myself to actually enjoy the act. Huh. I was too lazy in those days. You know, I didn't I hadn't learned how to knuckle down yet. You know. And, Amazing that I finally did, but I did. You, know. you, you really, I mean, with any, I guess it's the same with anything else creative. You have to get to a point where you feel bad when you're not doing it. Oh, yeah, I can't not do it for too long of a stretch, yeah. or I just go to seed. You know. Um, you, you were you were telling me earlier that you, you know you feel like you've got a, at least one one more really good book in you. Oh, I hope so. Is is that what you're working on now? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have a title yet, but it's loosely about reincarnation. It's allegedly stories that happened to me as a kid, but very little of it will really be true. Yeah. You know, and the first one starts with uh, Pam and I. We went to the Museum of Natural History, and we we're looking at the little stuffed animal dioramas. And already, just looking at those things, you get an eerie feeling because they haven't changed one iota in sixty years that I know about, and yeah. probably longer than that. And there's this one there that they had. It's like fifteen monkeys, fifteen white mantled colobus monkeys. It's like a whole community. Butchered an entire community of monkeys so they could put this lousy diorama and up, you know, and it just like, oh, that's fucking weird. And so I, I fabricated a story about me at the age of seven being at the museum and uh, being so fascinated by one of the monkeys. I said, there's some connection with one of the monkeys that when my class moves on to the next one, I'm still standing there, and then this old guy's starting to talk to me, and he's starting to talk to me about all the different monkeys and how he knew them all. And uh, that ends up into a sort of a flashback sequence and sort of a Tarzan-type story about this little kid who's the son of the guy who makes the diorama things and how he gets lost in the jungle and befriended by this female monkey and... uh, becomes a big shot until his father comes back and rescues him and butchers all the monkeys just as he's about to be crowned the king and uh i don't know it's a fun story you know yeah it's a whole comic book right there and that's so that's how i'm going to kick it off actually i'm kicking it off even earlier with this phony memoir of how i'm at the age of four while my mother and i are waiting a streetcar in Los Angeles out in front of the Hollywood Knickerbocker this old guy starts talking to me he, and he seems to think I'm somebody I'm not and it's like D.W. Griffith because he lived there and we have this weird conversation and yeah. he's starting to talk to me about you know he knew me when and 
basically he's talking about some incarnation of me that he knew and when my mother sees what's going on she she's turned to talk to some friend and she turns around and i'm about to take a slug out of this flask of whiskey that this old guy gave me and uh you know all hell breaks loose but that's how you know that's that'll be the first thing but i haven't drawn that yet yeah. and then that'll lead into this monkey story which is almost done and then i you know i got a few other uh angles along those lines so it's really you're you're going through your life and tracing these different moments to different lives yeah, different, at different yeah, ages exactly and it's at a certain point waldo will show up because he's the reincarnation of judas iscariot and he's going to bring it back to a bible story about the young jesus and out of that i'm going to use as my primary influence a piece of biblical apocrypha that's generally known as the uh infancy gospels of jesus christ Mm. they were probably written around the first century i mean those things almost were like the pulp fiction of their day apocryphal um, bible stories yeah it's uh, and this stuff it's fan fiction yeah it's about jesus as kind of a wise guy kid just it's so much like an origin story of a comic book you know he's got these superpowers but he hasn't got the maturity to know what to do with them yet and so he does a lot of really foolish things like he uh coaxes his playmates to jump off a high building and killing them and then brings them back to life and he uh, makes little clay people out of mud and brings them to life and you know, all this kind of weird stuff like that you know but, yeah. it's, but it's before he's you know gotten his bible education or anything he's just got the raw power and so I'm going to land on a story of that sort at some point and, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. You know, the way I'm looking at it now, though, is I've got some pressure to maybe come up, have a book in a couple of years, and maybe I'll have something publishable in a couple of years, but I'm not necessarily think I'll be done with it. I, I'm sort of seeing this book as more like, you know, Whitman's Leaves of Grass. He never really finished it. He just kept changing it and taking things out and putting it in you know different editions were highly different it's like a sort of a long form serial or i'm just going to keep playing playing around with it you know i I was thinking maybe experimenting around with some kind of print on demand thing at some point you know and just like so you could order this book at any given moment and you never know what you're quite going to get you'll probably get You'll get something yeah. that you know you're going to get, and you'll probably get a few things that you weren't expecting. Well, the web is the web is great for that. Or well, I know. I'm tablets. And I'm exploring that more and more. I'm, I'm getting into the Internet. And a, yeah. For, for a guy, I, you know, I I do more stuff than I really know what I'm even doing, yeah. doing, but I'm as hooked as anybody else right now, and I'm definitely fascinated by the possibilities of it, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's surf, surfing the surfing the web uh, is it's like it's like reading your books in some way that you just keep you just keep peeling back layers. Yeah, it's better than an encyclopedia. Yeah, you know, you just you have to be sort of intelligent so you know when somebody's just yeah. talking out of their ass. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that's pretty easy to detect most of the time. And, uh, that's what people say who are against it. They go, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that isn't true. You sure. know, well, sure, you know, there's a lot of stuff everywhere that isn't yeah. true. There's but, a lot of know. stuff in your books that isn't true, right? <laughs> you know, so, but there's also, you know, you, 
it's been hell on private detectives, I'm sure, because they're, most people can do the elementary yeah. things you'd hire a private detective for, yeah. just sitting right there. It's uncanny. In that Are these uh, is 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 your time on the internet? Is that is that feeding into your stories? Yeah, you know, it's not like I spend oodles of time. You know, if it's if I start feeling it's getting in my way, I just turn the fucking thing off. Yeah, but you know, except situations like this where the fuck you know, Photoshop. Well, I gotta be on the internet. <laughs> you, you had you had said earlier that um, you know part of what keeps driving you to, to to do new and different things is that you don't want to keep drawing the same thing over and over again. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering why you keep coming back to Waldo. Then I only come back when I got a good idea. You know, I never just think, oh, you know what, I got to get this Waldo thing going more. You know, that's where my real uh, product identification is. <laughs> Fuck that. You're not thinking in terms of T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, actually, Pam's been egging me on to come up with a new T-shirt design. Because I guess I'm going to do an art show later this year. But uh, my own inclinations, no, fuck T-shirt. I only do one when it comes up. I'm a storyteller. That's where I should spend most of my time. It's interesting, though. It's interesting how he, the way he can fit into such different stories that he pops up in stories that really in a sense have nothing to do with him it's interesting how he's evolved and that's why he survived because if 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 i couldn't have him in stories that are kind of like realistic stories with real people i lose interest right away i don't want to do a funny animal strip or anything like that and the older i get the less interested i am in cartooning per se you know it's okay i guess but it's not really where my mind is going you know, I want to be able to draw well enough to tell any kind of story I want to tell at any time. Where are you? Uh, so, so you know, re- reincarnation, and then you mentioned this this early kind of post Bible story, and I'm wondering where you are with religion right now. Same place most of us are. Yeah. You know, interested, but haven't really drawn any conclusions because uh, the evidence just doesn't seem to be there. I mean, I have yeah. feeling. I have a feeling there might be something to reincarnation, but I'm not positive. Are you more are are you more interested in religion as you get older? Yes and no. I mean, I'm I I I'm interested, but you know, like organized the organized religion I grew up around seems pretty weird to me somehow. I mean, they're, they're missing were your something. Parents, your parents weren't religious, were they? Oh, they trained me to be an absolute atheist. Yeah. My mother was a Catholic. My father was a Jewish, although he had no Jewish upbringing to speak of. But my mother went to Catholic school until she quit the church, which was about 15. And, um, I, I, I think the Bible is a fascinating story. Yeah. I think Jesus is a fascinating story. And I'd love to know what the real story is. And it's it's a strong enough story that you know people are still speculating over it. Even, sure. and, you know, so that, to me that's interesting, and I've got my own theories about some of this. Uh, my theory is that the human race is doing great, but we're not as far along as we think we are. You know, but at some point we might evolve to a point where we could do things that we couldn't imagine that we yeah. could do now. But we're just we're just too much like animals still. And have too many of those animal things going on, and uh, you know we follow our balls around until yeah. we're about fifty-five, and then uh, 
and then complain for it until we're dead, you know. It's, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's got to be more to life than that. Yeah. And uh, I'm really interested in finding it out. I'm really interested in just becoming better educated in general for no other good reason than just mm. to be that way, you know, yeah. to learn, you know. I want to learn more about literature past and present. I want to learn more about philosophy past and present and all that sort of stuff, you know. And I'm working on it on the side, too. No. What, um, so what is, it, what is it about reincarnation that strikes you as, as something that could, you know, maybe there's some, some grain of truth there? When I was four years old, I just always felt like I'd been here all along. It just, you know, I had a strong, strong feeling I'd been here the whole time. Yeah. And also, I would occasionally think about times when I used to wear glasses, but I didn't. You know, yeah. didn't wear glasses in yeah. those days. It's stuff like that, you know, it just sort of makes me wonder. And uh, also, just you know, where my interests lie, you know, and they just seem to be somewhere besides where I am right now, you know, like a, other lives that have already been lived. You know, I'm not, I'm not particularly nostalgic about my own life. Or, you know, I don't want to hear about, you know, what was that show we used to watch way back, you know. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, that stuff was all decadent bullshit anyway. But, yeah, when, know. but you know, do, do you feel a sense, I don't know if nostalgia is the right word, but I guess do you feel a sense of nostalgia for, you know, when you read a Dickens or these all of these, these things you're collecting from before your time? I don't feel nostalgia, but I feel like, you know... Most of the great stuff came and went before I ever showed up here, you know. That's part of why comics suddenly seemed like so great. I mean, it was interesting to get into, but then suddenly when Crumb showed up, yeah. and, he, you know, he had all the chops of anybody who ever was in this yeah. business, that seemed like, wow, now there's... You know, at first I was intimidated, but after I got over the intimidation, I said, now the standard is really high here. There's really something to live up to. But it's like... If one man could have started an art movement, Crumb almost did, even though we were already doing it before he got here. He he just put it on a whole other plane, you know. And How serious were you about comics before Crumb came along? I was making up my mind about it. I, 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 I wanted to do something creative. I wasn't satisfied with the kind of art I was seeing when I went to art school. And... Um, the things that used to knock my socks off were generally things that happened long, long before I ever showed up yeah. on the scene. You know, movies, music, you, you name it, any of the arts. And um, that isn't nostalgic because I wasn't there. Yeah. But something must. You know, I don't know. Who knows? Com- you know, comics seem like I, I'm not going to say an easy thing to get into, but you know, they they seem viable now um, in terms of alternative comics. Um, and, you know, pre, prior prior to Crumb, um, it went, if you weren't if you weren't doing you know superhero stuff, how, how did it? I know where you know how did you how did you get how did you get into that and how did it occur to you that that was something that you could do outside of superhero work? 
I wasn't sure. You know, when I went, when I quit my last straight job, I had I took five hundred dollars out of the bank, packed my packed my stuff, and went down to the Lower East Side. I really wasn't sure whether I was going to pursue being a painter mm. or try to somehow get into comics. It seemed like painting. I'd already had a little bit of beginner's luck selling pictures. Yeah, uh, I could crack that, but then comics. If there was something besides Marvel and all, who knew? You know, and I wasn't sure, but, you know, I hadn't been down on the Lower East Side maybe a whole week when I went over to the East Village other office, you know, and they had comics. Huh. You know, they weren't much, but and they weren't paying for them either, but it seemed like a place to start. Who, who, was, who was drawing over there at the time? Well, at the time, Bill Beckman, the art director, was doing a strip called Captain High. Also, there was stuff... Walter Bowart, the founder, he, he did something, you know, stuff that I guess you could say were early comics that he signed by the name of Steppenwolf Dangerfield. And Rodriguez. Mm. Seeing that, I didn't see Spain, but I see things signed Rodriguez yeah. every now and then. And, you know, he wasn't getting paid either then. But um, eventually... He started getting paid. Well, once once Walter Bowart left, and this kind of streetwise guy took over, named Joel Fabricant. That's when our careers began. That's when we started getting paid. <laughs> I mean, he was my good angel. He was a bad man, but a good angel for me. You know, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I've been very lucky that way in becoming associated with good people at yeah. the right time you know it's the same thing with kim thompson i'm only starting to realize it now that he's gone you know Shit. Uh, yeah how old how old did you know kim i mean obviously you've worked with him at, at fan uh, i my best knowledge of him was working with him yeah you know uh, reading these things about him now it's I, i'm getting that same funny feeling did i really know this guy that well i spent time with him you know he stayed here on occasion i stayed with him on occasion when i went to uh, seattle on yeah. business I got to know his wife, Lynn. He's a very taciturn guy, though. And I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I, I want to write something about him. I figure, well, I'll do it as soon as I read everything that's up there about him now. But every time I read one of those things, it totally puts me away. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> just, just, when you say figure out, you just figure out who he was? Or? Well, I know who he was, yeah. but he was very quiet and hard to read in person. He was easier to deal with in emails and telephone yeah. calls. You know, like, I remember showing up at different cons and I would see Kim and I'd go, Kim, how you doing? Shake hands. And get this kind of cold handshake and nods at you and walks up. And goes, oh, oh, something's up, something's up. <laughs> you know, then I was talking to his wife, Lynn, about it and, and she was saying, yeah, he gets that way. You know, yeah. there was one time we were sitting around here and he hadn't said anything to me for about two hours. And I finally just said, are you mad at me? And he said, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so once you sort of realize that about him, he's just hes just not going to be a big small talk guy. Yeah. Although he was very good at, you know, most of the newest jargon I'd hear first coming out of his mouth. I mean, you could, you could assume a certain manner in a business way that seemed like hail fellow well met affable but he was hardly that you know yeah. hardly at all that you know it's like that's why they were such an interesting team Kim and Gary because yeah. they complimented each other you know and 
boy, I'm I hope it works out. You know, I'm going to the big Kim Thompson memorial on Saturday. Mm-hmm. As Gary said, he's going to stands up there and speaks. But when he's done, he doesn't want that dead silence. So he's firming up who will stand up and say something. So, yeah. You know, Christ, if I can't stand up and say something about the guy, shit. You know, so that guy had my back for so many years, yeah. man. I mean, that was the weird thing about it. Is, you know, I never saw that good. Fucking Kim believed in me. I'm yeah. not even quite sure why, because our tastes outside of comics are highly divergent. You know, he likes all this rock and roll shit that I wouldn't be caught dead listening to and all that. But he believed in me, and he proved it time and again, and our working relationship just got better and better. It was great working with him. It was really great working with him. Like, you know, the hell week of finally getting a book together. I always love those. You know, you like it, that. You yeah, like that pressure. I do. I love it. I, I love it. What do you like about that? I know exactly where I'm supposed to be and exactly what I'm supposed ah. to be doing. You like structure. I guess so. And I, and I like working with people who know what they're doing. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, compare Kim to Chip Kid. Chip, you know, Kim was great. You know, like when I had a chance to do a couple of books with Pantheon, he didn't say a word. He got busy on his own book, and you know, and, and so when uh, during the time I had two from Pantheon, I got a third from Fantagraphics. And really looking back, that's the one that looks the best to me, and that's what I started realizing. And that's what he even mentioned it to me too that something was going on at Fantagraphics, and he he put it into words when I visited him. I don't know, it must have been about six or seven years ago. And he said, you know, I think we've finally gotten to a place through trial and error where I've got the staff that's really working well. Hmm. And and I think that was true, because working with Kim, Adam Grano, and me together, that was a great experience, yeah. you know. And those guys were on the ball, you know. I'll say this, you know, he got sick. I thought, oh, oh man, this, there goes my book. It's you know, it'll come out. But it's going to be delayed. He trained his staff well, man. They got it's right in there. It's interesting. Like that's, and, and I've had this experience too, where the, you know, your first, <laughs> you, you internalize it a little bit. You, you think about how it affects you, and then then you realize what what it means from there. They were right there. For, you know, I consider the last book to be a Kim Thompson production too, because really, you know, we'd been on it for years. And he'd already lined up who all the people were going to be, you know, to do the book. And They've let you experiment, too. They've let me experiment. I mean, yeah, this last time when I asked for, you know, landscape format on another book that wasn't going to be comics, there was an awful long silence, <laughs> you know, so long that I actually started working on another project. Yeah. I mean, I, I was going to finish this one one way or the other, yeah. but... Really, they they let, let me sweat it out, and I don't blame them. I mean, just the way I feel about it. Okay, I chose this format that's considered like a Jonah for sales, that sideways landscape. Yeah. If I had known that, I never would have done it. But I'm glad I didn't know it because <laughs> I really like the way it looks. Yeah. yeah. And and it really uh. That's part of why I'm trying to take this period seriously. Right now, do I want to be doing a lot of interviews? Do I want to be touring around? Not especially, but, you know, I I know exactly what I'd like to be doing. I'd like to be working on the book I got going on right now. But I also realize I owe it to these people. 
you know, more than more so on this one than ever before. Because the last time I, they stuck their necks out for me was, was I just picked her up, and I was yeah. trying to help my brothers out. Well, that book was the worst book disaster you know I ever had. How's how's that? I mean, it just didn't sell. You know, I, part of what I'm trying to do with this book is maybe sell a few more of those since the story, this story kind of spins off one of those stories. But, uh, you know, that thing just sort of grew like Topsy, and Kim went along with every crackpot thing I yeah. uh, brought up about it. You know, there were things after the fact that I learned. Clear, you know, one thing I didn't know when I was working on it, I was having a hell of a time with my brother Simon. Well, you know, it turns out that the guy had early Alzheimer's, you know, it was already starting to show itself, yeah. you know, because I was starting to think, wait a minute, you know, he doesn't even know the, the plot of his own story here, you know, because uh, what happened was he did all those sketches, it looked good, and I thought, well, this might be interesting, I wonder if I got my brother Seth to write a script for it, what would happen? Well, it worked you know, artistically, I thought it worked great. I loved it. But uh, he changed a few things, which knocked out some of Simon's original illustrations, which Simon didn't even notice. You know, I had to throw out some really good art just because it no longer uh, was in the story. Yeah. And he didn't, you know, and, and then he couldn't even produce all the original art I needed when it was time to put the book together, you know. He was looking at me at the time. I was over at his place, and he was going, "Well, go on and get mad. I wouldn't blame you." But it was—I was just so weirded out by it. I couldn't even get mad. I just thought, well, "What good would that do?" I mean, you know. But now it's—you know—now I know what it was. You know, yeah. he was once the smartest, smartest cookie on the block, but no more. You it's got to make you take stock a little bit too that you've that you've got all your marbles left, or most of them at least. God, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sure a few have rolled down in the corner somewhere, but yeah, because yeah. boy, you haven't got your brain. Where are you? Yeah, fuck. Does that does that make? I mean, does that make you want to work even even more? It gives well, me an incredible sense of urgency. That's yeah. why I don't want to waste any fucking time. That's why if if I didn't think i had to be doing this i'd be doing something else because no i want to spend every moment i've got drawing and writing you know of course i'm about to take two weeks off i got to do that just for my health you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm all beat up and worn out <laughs> so what, what i mean what is it that what is it that drives you it's just you mean you've got these stories that you've got to get out or just making sure that you you do as much good work as you can while you can grateful to be a human being and i'm trying to show my gratitude by uh, contributing something to the world you know it's really just about as simple as that you also got a bit of a late start as we said earlier in a way late but in another way i was sort of precocious too i mean you know see dial in for monster we made that in 1960 you know something was already going on and uh, i don't know yeah you know i i got to see the inside of the art and comics business from a really early age, and I might as well have been taking notes because I was paying attention. You're, absor- you're observing. Yeah. yeah. It was also good for me to get away from all of that and, uh, you know, work real jobs and stuff for a while. Yeah. You know, you, have to, you actually have to live life to yeah. Get stories. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and um, so I went out and did as much of that as I could, and I survived. Because, boy. Anyway. 
I did want to. I did want to ask you. Yeah. You know, going going way back when mm-hmm. you're, you're talking about this painting that you were doing. Um, yeah. What, what what was your painting like? Well, actually, I can give you a sort of an example right here. Um, the best color thing I think I had done about that time. I did it in '66, yeah. and uh, sit down over here if you want. I did it in '66, and one day when I was on the Lower East Side, I was already drawing comics. The Supers kids broke in, and they were just trashing the place, and they threw in water all around, and I was using color felt-tip pens and stuff, and they just ruined this picture. And I was so upset about it, I immediately redrew the thing in black and white. And I've been waiting all these years to finally get around to coloring it, you know. I'm not even sure exactly for what. But, uh, well, what happened was, I've been holding off on selling this original for that same reason. I, I, I... I said, you know, a guy wanted to pay me ten grand for it, and I said, well, I'd do it, except I can't do it because I still need it because I want to make a color poster or something out of it. And and, and he knew I was having a show too, so finally he came over with five thousand in cash and said, Here, I'll give you this. Don't put it in your show, and um, I'll give you the uh, rest of it. You know, maybe you know year from now but you've got the you got it in the meantime and so i went right out and spent two two hundred dollars on making a scan of it and so you know the tail end of knocking on it's a perfect thing to be doing right now it's a nice segue out of work into uh, a non-work it's still work in a sense though it's well yeah it's not too i mean i you know looking at it it it, it does look it's like some of your cartooning it's work busy work yeah, you know, but it's busy work doing what you do. Yeah, and I'm sort of trying to recreate this mood, but you know, I never could Photoshop. I had to wait for a person who invented Photoshop to be born, grow up, and invent Photoshop. <laughs> you knew, but you really knew. You knew the whole time that at some point you were going to come back to this. I had a pretty strong feeling. Yeah, and it's funny. And my strong feelings like that practically always come true. They just do. You That's know. one of the upsides of, of being somebody who holds on to everything, right? Well, I don't hold on to everything, no. but I've got a lot. Yeah. You know, and also, yeah, an early decision I made about not breaking up stories, I have a nice cache of my own work, you know. Of not breaking up stories? Yeah. Do do well, I don't do that. You know, if you want to buy a whole story of mine, great. Okay. If, I'm not going to sell you a page out yeah. of a story. Yeah. I mean, I've done it on occasion, but I don't like to do it. Yeah. But consequently, I've... You know, for retrospectives and stuff. I've got a ton of stuff. You mean for selling original art? Yeah. You know, like even now, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have a show probably, um, in Brooklyn maybe in November. But, and it's sort of based around having a new book out. But there'll be very little of the new book for sale. Maybe the cover and a few, you know, the inside cover art, some. Sk- some layouts. I don't even sell my sketches, my idea sketches, because frankly, I consider that to be some of my best stuff. You know, so I've got a. That's probably my richest collection yeah. of stuff of my own. And I've got all these. Well, I guess what you'd call sketchbook art, except it doesn't happen in a sketchbook with me. You know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I just, it just occurred to me. I actually had a piece of. Yeah, yeah. Here's a story. These are from the prologue of my uh, of my story uh, that I'm going to have. 
where I meet old D.W. Griffith out in front of the other. So, and that all comes out when I had this eye operation about five years ago, which almost put me out of action. Yeah. But that's another one of those moments where you take stock. Yeah. Well, I took stock and took notes and yeah. you know started writing the story. Yeah. You know. So. Anyway. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that one. I'm yeah. curious about the the, the the gallery because those it, never saw. <laughs> I never put them up for sale. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you had mentioned that that uh, that Pam works for the Met, and sometimes mm-hmm. you have to be in that world. You have to put on a suit, right? Um, so, you so you're on both sides of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel um, how comfortable do you feel in the gallery setting? Not very comfortable. Yeah, even when it's your own work. Well, again, though, it's sort of like you know the Hell Week thing about putting together. Uh, yeah. I enjoy the process of putting things together, and like I did a, I did a, for four color images that gallery with Ken Sanzel. I had a great time working with him on that show, and uh, Scott Eater. I guess I'm going to do a show with Scott. I don't know. We'll see how that works out. You, you just you like putting things together, but. I like projects, yeah. yeah. What about the standing standing around in front of your work and, and small talking with people? You know, I can get into that too. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't do it if I didn't have to do it. Because to me, you know, you start acting like some kind of a showboat. I mean, that's what happens after a while. You start yeah. going, oh, hey, I can do this. You, you believe know? it. You believe yeah. what people tell you. You know, I'd like to emcee one of these events. Yeah. You know, I heard that coming out of my mouth one time. I thought, Oh yeah, right. Uh-huh. Back up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how to become an asshole, and how many lessons was that? Uh, <laughs> do you, do, so, so you know, when when you're dealing with these these really really fine art people, the people at the Met, these wealthy people, you know, what yeah. are their what are their thoughts about what you do? Well, mostly bemusement, but yeah. occasionally they'll have a friend who's heard of me. And occasionally there's a little bit of crossover and Pam, you know, gives them my books. Yeah. And I draw nice pictures in them for them, you know. So uh I have no problem with them, you know. Uh, I like all kinds of art, not just comics yeah. and uh her donors, you know, some of them I think are incredible jerks and others I think are kind of nice people. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I'm not so far away. I mean, there was this one and she started talking to me about her life and she said yeah you know and then I went through my Otis Redding period and I saw the greatest Otis Redding show at the Apollo in 1966 and I said you did I saw that show too you know the stacks of old review in 1966 (laughs) it really was the greatest thing I ever saw at the Apollo (laughs) I can imagine you know and I wasn't even ready for Otis Redding yet you know I was more fixated on the go-go dancers <laughs> and Sam and Dave. Were on yep. there. Rufus and Carla Thomas. What a show. Carla Thomas, yeah. What a show yeah. that was. There you go. Uh, Kim Deitch, always uh, always an absolute pleasure to, to, uh, to speak with Kim. We uh, recorded that in his, uh, in his Manhattan apartment. Uh, very, very fascinating place, as you would expect from such a fascinating guy. Uh, collections of just about everything. We started by talking, uh, uh, started with talking about the, uh, the cat collection that uh, his wife Pam has uh, amassed over the years, which has kind of served as foundation of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of his work as of late. Um, 
lots of uh, old-timey photos and, and, and just uh, just piles and piles of uh, amazing artwork on his uh, on his workbench right there. So uh, thank you so much to Kim for for taking the time out of uh, out of your, your very busy schedule to uh, to sit down with us. Um, thanks as always to Brian for editing this thing together. Uh, thank you to Mark and everybody else at Boing Boing for uh, for all of your support over there. Um, we've uh, got a lot of good episodes coming up for you guys. Um, got interviews with. Uh, with uh, with Re- Reggie Watts, uh, we spoke with uh, cartoonist Leslie Stein, um, uh, Seth Lynn from This American Life. So much more good stuff coming up. Uh, if you liked what you heard this week, do us a favor and uh, please rate us on iTunes. Uh, you can uh, you can send us an email if you've got any kinds of feedback. It's uh, riylcast at gmail.com and uh, you can also uh, follow us over on Tumblr. Also riylcast. Uh, that one's .tumblr.com. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we will be back next week with another episode of R.I.Y.L. 